In this week's episode, we find life lessons in an amazing story. Bringing hope and healing. It's your source for personal growth, mental health, and interesting ideas. Thoughtful Mind with Svee. Here's your host, Svee Hilsenrath. And welcome back to Thoughtful Mind with Svee. I'm your host, Svee Hilsenrath. This week... The gratitude shout-out goes to the city of Barnegat, New Jersey. Thank you, Barnegat, New Jersey, for listening in. This week, we're going to be telling a story, all of which is true. The lessons that we can learn from this story are pretty incredible, and we're going to get to them at the end. The story itself is an amazing story, and it starts with a man named Roland Hazard. Now, Roland Hazard was a successful businessman and politician, and he was an alcoholic. And during the time that he was running all these different businesses and holding political office, he was also going from one treatment center, from one ward, from one sanitarium to the next, not only throughout America, but throughout Europe as well. Eventually, Roland ended up in Zurich, Switzerland, and he had a choice to go with one of the two great psychiatric minds of the time, either Sigmund Freud or Carl Jung. Both Sigmund Freud and Carl Jung were the leading lights of psychiatry at the time, and really the founding fathers of psychiatry. Roland decided to become a patient of Dr. Carl Jung, and had he gone with Sigmund Freud, the story would have gone differently, as we'll see soon, but he ended up with Dr. Carl Jung, and I believe it was about a year he spent with him, and he got sober, and as he was leaving Zurich, he was heading to the dock to get on the ship to go back to America. He didn't even make it onto the ship before getting drunk again, and he returned Carl Jung a broken man, because here he had been sober for a little while, and now... He didn't even make it back to the ship, and he was already drunk. And he said to him, is there any hope? Like, what can I do? And Dr. Young told him he was a hopeless case, that every case of alcoholism that Dr. Young had seen with such severity, it it was hopeless. And Roland asked him if there were any exceptions. And Young said that there were exceptions, and these exceptions were anomalies, but in every single case, there was one factor. And that was that each of these people, each of these anomaly success stories that recovered from alcoholism, had gone through what Dr. Young called a vital spiritual experience. Dr. Young had the humility to say he didn't know how it worked, but that a vital spiritual experience created what he called a psychic change that cured the alcoholism. In Dr. Young's words, to me, these occurrences are phenomena. They appear to be in the nature of huge emotional displacements and rearrangements. Ideas, emotions, and attitudes which were once the guiding forces of the lives of these men, are suddenly cast to one side, and a completely new set of conceptions and motives begin to dominate them. And Dr. Young said that he had been trying to create this vital spiritual experience, the psychic change, in Roland, but that he had been unsuccessful in doing so. And Roland said, I don't understand. I'm a religious man. I'm a faithful churchgoer. Why am I not cured? And Dr. Young emphasized the difference between religion and a vital spiritual experience, the difference between following religious practice and having ideas, emotions, and attitudes changing to where they are no longer the guiding force of a person's life, an experience of having a completely new set of conceptions and motives. Roland took Dr. Young's advice to heart and joined what was then called the Oxford Groups. The Oxford Group was a small set of Christians who were trying to get back to what they called original Christianity. And they practiced a form of Christianity, a form of religion that stressed self-reflection, that stressed righting past wrongs, and stressed working with others. They emphasized that whatever you have, you can't keep it unless you give it away. 
And through the program of the Oxford Group, Roland underwent a vital spiritual experience, had a psychic change, and stopped drinking, stopped getting drunk, and in 1933, he got involved with a man named Ebby Thatcher. Now, Ebby Thatcher was part of a prominent New York family, and he also struggled with alcoholism. At the time, people didn't talk about alcohol addiction, people didn't talk about alcoholics, it was drunks with alcoholism. And Ebby Thatcher was a drunk with alcoholism. And he was about to be sent away for the rest of his life to a sanatorium because he could not control his alcoholism. And he got himself in some legal trouble. And the judge in charge of Ebby's case happened to know Roland because the judge was also a part of the Oxford group. So Roland and a couple of his Oxford group friends told the judge that they would take care of Ebby. They brought Ebby to the Oxford group and Ebby stopped drinking. And two months later, Ebby in the nature of the Oxford group, to go out and spread the word, went to a friend of his. Now, Bill Wilson was another drunk with alcoholism. Bill Wilson had been a very successful stock speculator during the 1920s. He used to go throughout the United States with his wife and visit companies throughout the country and then send word back to New York about whether or not they should be invested in. And through this, he made a lot of money. And throughout Bill's life, he had ups and downs financially. And one of the reasons why Bill was constantly coming down off his financial highs was because Bill was a drunk with alcoholism and was constantly losing his money due to irresponsibility created by his getting drunk. He would go on terrible benders where he would disappear for days at a time. And he tried not drinking and it just wouldn't work. And in 1933, Bill was admitted to Towns Hospital where he came under the care of Dr. William Silkworth. And Dr. Silkworth, recognizing that Bill was an intelligent man, shared with Bill his observations working with drunks and those suffering with alcoholism over many years. And Dr. Silkworth said the problem was twofold. The problem wasn't that people couldn't stop drinking. The problem was once people took the first drink, they couldn't stop drinking. And the second problem was that people couldn't stop taking the first drink. So it was a twofold problem. Part A, can't stop taking the first drink. Part B, once you take the first drink, you can't stop drinking. And we'll get more into this in a different episode. So Bill says to himself, great, now I know what my problem is, now I can stay sober. Spoiler alert, he didn't. He got out, and he got drunk again. And he spent another year getting drunk, and after a year was admitted back to Towns Hospital, back to Dr. Silkworth. Dr. Silkworth told Bill's wife Lois that Bill was incurable, that there was only one end to this story, and he was either going to end up dead, or he was going to end up in a sanatorium, what we would now call a psychiatric hospital, because his brain would have been completely destroyed by alcohol. Bill overheard this conversation and was truly, truly afraid about what was happening. He got out, didn't drink for a little while because he was so afraid, but sooner or later, he got drunk again. And it's at this point, when Bill was down and out, really at rock bottom, when when his old drinking buddy, Ebby Thatcher, shows up. Bill and Ebby were old friends and had been drinking partners for many, many years. And Bill always said, if I ever drink as bad as Ebby, I'm going to stop. Now, Ebby shows up and Bill offers him some liquor. And Ebby says, no thanks. And Bill says, why not? And Ebby says, well, I don't drink anymore. And Bill says, why not? And Ebby says, well, I got religion. And there, Ebby shares the solution that he found with Bill the work he had done with the Oxford groups, the spiritual awakening, 
the vital spiritual experience that Dr. Young had spoken about. And Bill's got problems with this because Ebby's talking about God and Bill doesn't like that. And Ebby said, well, just choose the God of your understanding. Just come up with your own ideas of God. Because Ebby emphasized the spiritual, not the religious aspects of the program that he was working. Ebby left and Bill continued to drink. And at the end of that drunk, Bill got committed one more time to Towns Hospital. And he's laying in the bed completely depressed. And he turns to God. And he has what he later called that vital spiritual experience in that bed. And he had his desire to drink removed from him and never drank again. Little time passes, Bill gets out of the hospital, and now Bill joins the Oxford group and focuses on self-reflection and fixing up the past and working with others. And he's going around dragging all these drunks because now Bill's on a mission because he wants to stay sober. So he's dragging all these drunks off the street into the Oxford group, trying to force them to get sober, trying to force them to work the religious program of the Oxford groups. It's not working. None of these guys are getting sober. None of these guys are stopping to drink. And he's getting frustrated. And he tells his wife, I'm frustrated. I can't get any of these guys sober. And his wife points out to him, well, they may not be sober, but you are. And Bill goes to talk to Dr. Silkworth. And Dr. Silkworth suggests that what Bill was doing was starting with the solution. Bill is grabbing these drunks, dragging them to the Oxford group, and trying to force down that vital spiritual experience, trying to force down this religious program, and it wasn't working. Dr. Silkworth told him, next time you do this, try starting with the problem. Try starting with talking about the dual nature problem of not being able to stop drinking once you start and not being able to stop taking your first drink. Talk about yourself and then move on to the solution. At the same time, Bill had been out of work for a number of months and was relying upon his wife to support him. And his wife basically said, you need to make some money. So Bill got involved in the deal and went to Akron, Ohio to do some business. And when he was in Akron, Ohio, the whole thing fell apart. He was staying in the Mayflower Hotel at the time, and he was very, very depressed, very upset. And he was sitting in a lobby, and across the lobby was a bar. And he saw all the people in the bar, and they all looked so happy, and he wanted to go there and get drunk. And instead of doing that, Bill went to the bar and got changed for a dollar and went to the phone booth in the lobby, and he had a plan. Because near the phone booth in every hotel at the time was a list of all the local churches. And Bill started calling up the local churches, trying to get a hold of somebody who knew about a drunk in the area. Because he remembered all those drunks that weren't getting sober, but he was staying sober. Now he was going to try to do the same thing in Akron, Ohio that he had been doing in New York. And he went through the entire list. And the last name on the list, he finally got somebody on the phone and explained his situation. And the woman on the other end of the phone said, yes, I know of a drunk, but I don't know if he's going to meet with you. And Bill said, just get me in a room with him. I'll take care of the rest. That man was Dr. Bob Smith. Dr. Bob Smith was a local doctor who used to be very prestigious in town, used to have a very prestigious and well-respected practice until he started getting drunk because Dr. Bob also had alcoholism and kept getting drunk and ruined his practice, lost all of his patience and all of his respect. And he was the town drunk. And they went to Dr. Bob and said to him, you know, this man wants to meet with you. And he said, I have no interest in meeting with him. And Dr. Bob's wife basically said, you are meeting with this man. So Dr. Bob said, okay, I'll give him 15 minutes. Let's see if you can tell me something I don't know. 
So they brought Dr. Bob to Bill in the Mayflower Hotel, and they started talking. And they ended up speaking for five hours. Bill remembered what Dr. Silkworth had suggested to him and started talking about himself. He didn't talk about Dr. Bob. He didn't talk about what Dr. Bob should do. He started talking about himself. He told Dr. Bob his story, and he told Dr. Bob how bad of a drunk he had been, and he told Dr. Bob how he had gotten sober and stopped drinking. And Dr. Bob said, well, you know more about alcoholism than anyone else I've ever met. I'm going to do what you do. At the time, Dr. Bob had also been part of the Oxford group, but he had not been trying to use his religious program to create a vital spiritual experience specifically to address alcoholism. And now with Bill Wilson, he goes back to the Oxford group, starts working that religious program of self-reflection and atonement for the past, and he stops drinking. And a few weeks go by, now Dr. Bob starts to get the itch to drink again. And he says to Bill, we got to find somebody else. So they start calling all the hospitals looking for a drunk. They call the local hospital. The local hospital says, well, we've got somebody. And we've got a real case for you because this guy is a true drunk. And when he gets drunk, he gets violent. And we've had to tie him to the bed. We have him tied to the bed right now. And Bill says, well, I'm going to come over. I've got a solution. And the person at the other end of the line said, well, if you've got a solution, why don't you try it on our local doctor, Dr. Bob Smith? And Bill says, I did. And he's sober. Well, the nurse who knew Dr. Bob said, well, then come over and see if you can help this guy. And this is one of the true pivotal moments of this story, because until then it had been Bill and Dr. Bob helping each other out, and now it spread. Ebby had not stayed sober, Roland was off doing something else, and it's at this point that the story goes from two to three. Bill and Dr. Bob went to the hospital, and they met with a man named Bill Dodson, and there's a very famous painting. You can Google it and look it up. It's called The Man in the Bed, and of course this entire story is about AA, about Alcoholics Anonymous, and this is when it really, really started. When the two men, Bill W. and Dr. Bob, met with Bill D. And went from a pair to three. And now you had a group. They sat with Bill D. and told him about their experience. And Bill D. also joined the Oxford group. Also started staying sober. From there, more people in Akron joined the group of Bill W. and Dr. Bob and Bill D. And eventually... Bill W. went back to New York and started working with people in a similar manner there and started growing a group there. And then another group opened up in Cleveland, Ohio. And at the time, they were all still connected to the Oxford group, but eventually they split because the Oxford group was very much interested in creating a certain type of person. And all these alcoholics just wanted to stay sober. They weren't necessarily interested in the rest of it. They were just looking a way to stop drinking. Eventually, these groups split off from the Oxford group and they still had no name at the time. These groups grew to where they had about 40 people. And they started talking about how to best spread the message that they had and how to recover from the disease of alcoholism and get sober. Because again, one of the big tenets they worked by was, you can't keep it if you don't give it away. And so Bill and Dr. Bob and a few of the others met and they started to formulate plans about how to best spread the message. And they came up with a three-part plan. And the first is they wanted to have hospitals throughout the country that worked with this vital spiritual experience method to create psychic change. Because at the time, hospitals didn't really address alcoholism. It was rare. It was hard to get into a hospital if your only problem was alcohol. The second thing they wanted was professional missionaries, they called them. People that would go throughout 
the country and then eventually throughout the world, spreading the word of this vital spiritual experience. The problem was this was in the middle of the Great Depression, and they had no money. And somebody said, well, the Oxford group is writing these books about their religious program, and they're selling like hotcakes. So why don't we write a book to pay for it all? So they went to Bill W. and asked him to write the book. At the time, Bill W. was in the midst of one of his on-again, off-again depressions. He was again out of work, and I believe he didn't leave bed for six months. He was really down. And they asked him to write this book, and he started writing it. And when they eventually published it, they needed a name. And at first, they wanted to call it 100 Men, because at the time, there were 100 men that had gotten sober through this method. But that name didn't work out when women started joining the program. So then they came up with one name after another, and each time they came up with a name, they found that many other books had been written with that title, and they wanted to stand out. And Bill said, well, why don't we call it the Bill W. Method? And nobody liked that. And somebody eventually said, why don't we call it Anonymous Alcoholics? And eventually got switched to Alcoholics Anonymous. And that was the name that the book was published under. At the time, the organization had no name. After the book was published, the organization got its name from being associated with this book, the book Alcoholics Anonymous. So now there was the book Alcoholics Anonymous and the organization Alcoholics Anonymous. And at the time, again, it was only about a 100 people. And the reason they wanted to stay anonymous was they were so sure that this would be a success that they were afraid they would be inundated by requests and letters and phone calls, and they didn't want their personal lives disrupted, so they decided to remain anonymous, which is why they were Alcoholics Anonymous. And the book itself eventually became known as the Big Book because it was printed on very cheap paper, which was very thick. And so when it was eventually printed, it was a very big book. So they published the book expecting it to be a big seller, and it goes exactly nowhere. It doesn't sell. Bill and Lewis still have no money. They get kicked out of their home. They're forced to move around. The book went bankrupt. They're dealing with legal problems. They're moving into New Jersey, into upstate New York, all around. They're really relying upon the kindness of others. And slowly, as they're going through all of this, slowly... Alcoholics Anonymous, the book, starts to spread. And somebody in California picks up a copy and starts a group there. And somebody in Texas picks up a copy and it starts to grow there. And slowly, over the course of many, many years, Alcoholics Anonymous spreads and people start to get sober. Meanwhile, Bill W. remembers that all of this started with Dr. Carl Jung. And so he reached out through a letter to Dr. Jung and told him about the great success of his idea of a vital spiritual experience. Dr. Young wrote back to Bill in what was one of his last letters, and said that he remembered Roland, and had always wondered what had happened to him. Roland ended up staying sober. Dr. Young said that he had been very hesitant to suggest spiritual growth as a cure for alcoholism at the time, because he was afraid of being misunderstood. Dr. Young was afraid that people would go after religious practice instead of going for the spiritual connection the vital spiritual experience, the psychic change by connecting to a God of a person's understanding. And so he had been afraid or hesitant to suggest such a thing to Roland. And he was truly encouraged by Bill reaching out to him and telling him about the success that not only Roland had had, but how that had spread through at that time throughout the entire America. This is, as I said, the story of Alcoholics Anonymous of AA. What can we learn from this story? For those of us that are not Addicts, what do we get out of it? 
Obviously, we get out of it lessons about addiction, which we'll get more into later episodes about the twofold nature of the disease and the spiritual nature of the solution. But I think there are five things that we can take out of it. The first thing is the power of helping others. In an earlier episode, we spoke about how listening to others helps you heal. And the same thing is happening here. We see that every time that the founders of AA were thinking about getting drunk, what they did was work with other people. Bill went to work with Dr. Bob. Bill and Dr. Bob went to work with Bill D. And that's how it spread. Because it was a selfish program they were working. They weren't helping others out of the pure goodness of their heart. They were doing it for selfish reasons. And so when you help other people, it's selfish in a sense that you are really helping yourself. And part of that is getting vulnerable. Part of that is speaking about yourself. If someone's in pain, well, you don't want to make it all about yourself, but letting other people know that you've been through the same or similar situations and come through it, that's very, very helpful to people. And that's why when Bill met with Dr. Bob, it was so powerful because for the first time, someone was speaking about themselves instead of telling Dr. Bob what to do. The next thing I think we can get out of the story is don't count yourself out just because you're down and out. At every point in the story, the people at their worst are doing the most good. So Roland is at his worst and he turns around and speaks to Dr. Young. Ebby's at his worst and he gets rescued by Roland. Bill W's at his worst and he reaches out to Dr. Bob. Dr. Bob's at his worst. He reaches out to Bill D. Every time somebody's at the bottom is when they do the most good. If you're down and out, if you feel like life couldn't get any worse, this may be the time when you do the most good in your life. Next, never underestimate the reach of your good deeds. If you look at what Dr. Young did, and then what Roland did, and what Evie did, and Bill did, and Dr. Bob did, they were just trying to help themselves. And yet what they did, by setting positivity loose in the world, it changed the world. So you never know. When you reach out, when you help someone else, when you bring positivity into the world, you never know where it might go. You never know where it might lead. You never know where your chain reaction of good, where your chain reaction of positivity might help and bring light to somebody else's life. You may never find out. As a religious person, another thing I take away from this is the power of God. Because if you look at this story, if one thing would have been out of place, if one person meeting the next wouldn't have happened, then none of it would have happened. If Roland Hazard had decided to go with Sigmund Freud instead of Carl Jung, Sigmund Freud was not a fan of religion, was not a fan of a spiritual experience. If he had gone to Sigmund Freud instead of Jung, none of this would have happened. If Roland had not decided to take care of Ebby, Ebby would not have reached out to Bill. If Bill had met Dr. Silkworth, Bill would not have come to the understanding of the problem. If Ebby hadn't reached out to Bill, Bill wouldn't have had the solution. If Bill hadn't had the fortitude to make calls while in Akron, Ohio, if Bill hadn't gone on business to Akron, Ohio, we never would have met Dr. Bob, and the whole thing never would have happened. So look at this amazing chain of events, this unlikely chain of events. One thing is out, and the whole thing doesn't happen. To me, that just speaks to the power of God. And finally, just because you didn't accomplish what you set out to accomplish doesn't mean you accomplished nothing. Think about what that group decided to accomplish when they wanted to spread the message, they wanted to start these hospitals and they wanted to have the professional missionaries. There are no AA hospitals. There are no AA professional missionaries. But now they have even better success. And so it's true they didn't accomplish what they set out to accomplish. But what they ended up accomplishing was much greater and more helpful. Because now there's hospitals that will help alcoholics and 
there are plenty of therapists and counselors and religious leaders that are looking to help addicts. But this particular piece is not something you can find anywhere else. As always, I'd like to thank everyone for listening. Thank you to everyone that's been sharing this podcast on social media. I truly appreciate it. Thank you to everyone that's been sharing this podcast to their friends. I appreciate that as well. If you're looking for ways to spread or support the podcast, you can go to the website, thoughtfulmindpodcast.com. There's a place there where you can find out how to support and spread the word. Some very exciting episodes are coming up, so keep listening. As always, go out, believe in yourself. Thank you.